We are a environmental podcast working to bridge the environmental awareness gap uh, from our stream to see conservation efforts and those all that lie in between. And what that really means is that we're all connected. We got to talk about something that is close to my heart and one of the many things that makes this area great, the Palouse. Allison Crowley joins us from the Palouse Conservation District, where she helps with events like Plant the Palouse and the annual tree sale, as well as creating an informational podcast called Palouse Pulse. Our conversation brought back memories of being on my great-grandmother's Viola farm, summer swimming in the Palouse River and walking the railroad track with my cousins, and spending winter sledding on the rolling hills and warming up by the fire. Allison has another podcast called Conserve Nation about the importance of taking care of the beautiful land that sustains us, as well as the importance of taking care of oneself and how these two endeavors are connected. So please join us in our interview with Allison Crowley. Now, this is the time we'd usually let you know what events are occurring this weekend, but due to recent circumstances, things are going to be a little different. We're going to skip the events until further notice, and look for a mini-episode coming out soon where Drew and I talk about how what's going on is going to affect the Old Spiral podcast. Enjoy the episode. We're joined by Allison Crowley. Allison Crowley is an AmeriCorps Education Outreach Restoration Technician for the Palouse Conservation District. It's awesome to meet you. Have, Hi, guys. Well, thank you. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, so what, what all does your job entail up there at the Palouse Conservation District? <laughs> so many things. Uh, so there's the AmeriCorps level, which what we do is like we provide a service to the nation, but primarily I work at the Police Conservation District doing riparian restoration work in the greater Palouse area in Whitman County, and we also do education outreach, so that's K-12 programs working to educate students on anything from soil science, water cycles, um, watershed importance, and aquatic ecology. It really does range depending on like what age range we're focusing on so we do things from like wee week to drain rangers to the fifth grade like stormwater education and then besides that we also sometimes help out with water quality which we go out with the cool resource um and monitoring program and we learn like different ways to do water quality assessments and soil quality assessments for these private landowners that are enrolled in our conservation activities so it's a huge array we do weekend events every single saturday in the fall and spring called palouse uh, plant the palouse and that's where we're doing plantings of all these different native species and areas are like in pullman palouse and albion and colfax but it's a lot we do a lot that's really cool. So what, what kind of native species are there for for people to plant at those events? Yeah, so uh, a lot of these are riparian areas, which for those that probably don't know what that term is, it's basically the transitional zone between the terrestrial and aquatic regions that are important that can be inundated with water and flood, but then also dry during summer. So we go through these areas and we plant willows, choke cherries, aspens, ponderosa pines, 
uh, hawthorns, elderberries, which is a really good medicinal one for people. And then uh, along with that, we do different types of cottonwoods and dogwoods, a lot of species that can be exposed to water but also survive without um, an abundance of it. Very cool. And, and you moved here recently to join the Police Conservation District, right? Yeah, so I recently just came here from Hawaii seven months ago. I'm a fellow Hawaii-Hoan, <laughs> is what we've termed ourselves, because I came here with a good crew of people from Hawaii. Shout out to Sparrow Rock and Imua. Um, those are some of my fellow Hawaii. That's a great restaurant. Oh, I know. I love their food. Great people. Amanda and Junior, y'all are amazing. The Loquestas. Love y'all. Uh, yeah, so come here from Hawaii to basically, um, I, I really just wanted to get off Hawaii because I knew it was an amazing place, but it was best case for my scenario in life to, to go and branch out educationally and also just uh, be able to afford where I live. Hawaii's really expensive. Really were you, are you a Hawaiian native? Were you born there? No. Or where did where were you born? I'm from Michigan. I'm a okay. Michigander. How many names can I compare, like, as a given nomenclature for myself? Uh, from Michigan, lived there for about 25 years. I uh, went to Michigan State. Shout out to Spartans, I guess, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was there, and, um, yeah, I just really like mountains and oceans, and Michigan lacks that severely. So I, I hopped over to Colorado and then jumped a bit over to um, Hawaii, and I was there for six years doing amazing conservation work. Uh, I what kind of things were you able to get done while you were there? Oh man, I, I, I my job is was pretty amazing. I like feel bad sometimes explaining it to people because I worked in really remote native forests on the island of Oahu. I worked in the Ko'olau Mountains. That's where my mom was born. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Where in Oahu? I am not sure. Okay. I never went there. Well, it's a it's a beautiful place, really overpopulated, but um, I got lucky because I worked in a place where I got to go remote. So I worked in the Ko'olau Mountains, which... Uh, the program I was with is the Ko'olau Mountains Watershed Partnership. Was with them for four years, and uh, because Hawaii is so inundated with invasive species, it takes a lot to get to the native areas because they're higher in elevation, and because we are islands created out of volcanoes, there's some very steep topography going on so to get to these areas you have to fly in helicopters so I for four years got to fly in helicopters to remote areas and camp for four days with an amazing crew and got to take out invasive species so it was like hunting but for predators that don't move and it was really cool you had to put in a lot of good life skills of like learning how to do like surveillance reading topography maps and using compasses and using really great skills that allowed you to incorporate them into, like, other parts of your life and hike all the time. So I was very grateful to leave there. But um, it's Hawaii's limited with funding for, like, grad pro projects and everything. So that's why I jumped ship to Idaho for grad school and be able to kind of, like, create something for myself. So Police Conservation District is a great, like, interlude into my grad school because, like, they're so versatile and so um, a part of the community. So I got to be understanding, like, what is Idaho about in conservation? Like, what is this world that I'm entering into? And it's been a really good nurturing environment. That's awesome. And it, it looked like, uh, just as a side note, you did some other cool stuff in Hawaii, which included fire dancing. Mm-hmm. 
So how did you get involved in doing that? Uh, my my flo- my fellow Flohana and Paleo's Fire out in Hawaii. Uh, I got into it because I had a beautiful friend, Lexi, and she was a fire hooper that um, was my best friend, but she also did floor arts. And I didn't even know what this world was. I was living in Hawaii as a year later. I'm like, what are these people doing these crazy fire things? And uh, I decided one day to pick up um, a pair of poi, which is as New Zealand weapon originally, but then they made it into an art of dance, such as a lot of um, beautiful dance dances that are done in the Polynesian culture, and uh, they're just balls with Kevlar and then chains, and I picked those up, and I loved it, and I love dancing. Like, I'm a huge dancer. I've always danced my whole life, and I found a huge, deep connection with it, and I became... I found my family through fire arts. Like, if mm-hmm. it wasn't through... If it wasn't through integrating myself into this flohana, as we call it, because ohana is a term for, you know, family... And in Hawaiian, and I just pretty much found my people. And those are the people that still remain in Hawaii. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to know who you are, and I love you. Nice. So you came to the Palouse to go to U of I, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I came kind of knowing that U of I was a good grad school opportunity. I just didn't know in what capacity. So I got in to Lewiston um, a a a month later. I went down to McCall because um, they have a school down there, University of Idaho, and I had no idea what McCall was. I went there, did a site visit, and it was amazing. So it's, it's a neat town. Yeah, it's like a little tiny South Lake Tahoe. So McCall Outdoor School of Science and is a uh, research affiliate of University of Idaho. So it's a place-based learning, natural resource, master's immersion program. So I'll start that in August. Nice. So that's why Police Conservation District has really been great because it's gotten me integrated with learning how to teach students place-based stuff and being able to use your hands and understand complex situations hands-on and, like, with face value. And along with that, it gives me the opportunity to just get integrated with the community. Yeah. You know, like, even though we're here in Clarkston, it's the same thing in Washington. Like, we're just such shared neighbors. And being able to understand what's going on in Pullman makes sense and what's going on in Moscow. Yeah, and that's that's kind of like what the goal of the show is, is just to promote everybody's different ways of knowing. Yeah. And sort of understanding where we live. And you have two podcasts too, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I got really... Lucky that for my AmeriCorps position with Police Conservation District, my capstone project, my boss, Jody Prow and Drew Schall allowed me to have my project as a podcast. And that was kind of my first introduction into making podcasts because I've listened to them for so long. Like, I feel like half my life I quote podcasts like, <laughs> hey, Dax Shepard, an armchair expert, or tangentially speaking with Chris Ryan or anything with Joe Rogan or the Female Far- Farmer Project. Like, I can go on and on and on. And I decided that, well, if I'm going to be such a fan of podcasts and I have like to talk to people, might as well make it something worth my while to yeah. Yeah. do. I got to listen to your latest episode this morning. And that was with the Palouse Pulse. And yeah. that's part of the Pullman Conservation District, is or the Palouse. Yeah, yes. I said yeah. so Palouse Pulse is Palouse Conservation District's podcast. Uh-huh. And Palouse Pulse is also the name of our newsletter. So it was good to have, like, 
that, oh, that copacetic continuity. yeah continuity with yeah. it so uh palouse pulse is the podcast that is through palouse conservation district it's a six uh six episode series uh once i'm done with my internship they might continue but as of now it'll be about six episodes oh i see and they all um showcase the efforts of fellow landowners and conservationists around the Palouse area. And these are their stories about how farming and conservation efforts have impacted them in their life and their backstory of like why they started involving their self in these conservation activities, whether it be like no-till or doing riparian restoration. We have people that don't do farming and we have people that do farming and we have an array of people that also do community gardening. So it's just um, a very versatile perspective of being a steward of the land. Yeah, that's right, because the one you let out was it yesterday? Yeah. They That was a farmer. Yeah. But the one before that, that one was really fun for me to listen to because she wasn't a farmer. She had a great garden, it yeah. sounded like. Yeah. But she had, what, seven acres? And all the places you're talking about, the one that came out yesterday that I listened to this morning, she had land outside of Pullman going out that. Yeah, she's and in my Pullman. Family that's has, uh, Cheryl uh, Zachariason. That's right. And my family has a bunch of acreage out there. I think they settled this area from Montana in, like, the early 1900s. Yeah. Your family or the Zacharyson's? My family. Oh, so, yeah, the, so, so the Zacharyson's. Well, that's why I'm enjoying yeah. the podcast yeah. so much is because from being a little kid, when you had the one two weeks ago where she has that little farm and she's on that floodplain, well, my great-grandma had a homestead, has one. She's gone, but we still it's still in the family. Of course, there's that whole trust. Yeah. Uh, but I remember as a little kid in the winters, we'd come up for Christmas and we'd go sledding on all the hills. Oh my and gosh, then in that's the summers, been a dream of mine. <laughs> in the summers, my cousins and I would just run half naked through the fields and swim in the Palouse River and catch frogs and walk the yeah. train tracks all day. And so, so you have a great connection to the land. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And you have such nostalgic stuff and then current, you know, good attachments. Well, yeah, and that was another reason to, that I was excited to have you in is because the Palouse Conservation District does a lot of really important stuff. Uh, we were doing an episode, we're kind of formulating an episode that has to do with the Palouse, and when we were looking into it, only 1% is how it originally was. The rest has been turned into yeah, agriculture. Yeah, you mean the prairie. The prairie, yeah. there's yeah. only 1% prairie left, and a lot of that can be found on, like, Kamiak Butte, Steptoe Butte, and then what we call these uh, eyebrows, uh, <laughs> two steep areas on these croplands that can't be farmed right. have a lot of the residual prairie land uh, plants there. And a lot of it is because they're too steep and the farmers can't do anything, but they look like eyebrows. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah cool. prairie actually is one of, if not the most endangered biome in the world hmm. because they've been turned into grazelands or they have been turned over for residential. Right. And... A lot of them now are just fragmented, and that's become a lot of big issues that the funding for these prairie lands are not as readily abundant because of the limited percentage of their coverage. Right. Yeah. So you were talking about Connection to Land and, like, some of those events that you host. Um, do you know anything about, like, some of the local CSAs that there are up around the Palouse? So not necessarily CSAs. I actually know just a, a good amount of farmers that do... 
there's a way that the farmers do. It's called direct marketing. That's so the term. Real quick, Drew, for people that don't know oh, yeah, acronyms. CSA. I think you should explain it because you'll probably have a better perspective on it than I do. I'm horrible at explaining acronym CSA names, though. But I, I can I tell you what it is. Yeah, yeah, that'd be <laughs> so good. So a CSA is essentially where you have a farmer that sets up a avenue for local residents to come and pick up their local produce. Right. And usually it's produce. Uh, not too many times do they do meat. I haven't. That would be a different program, but CSAs are basically an incorporated air way that local residents can be able to obtain local, sometimes organically grown produce, and that it also goes to their direct funding for the farmer rather than through a third party. Right, and you can, in some cases, have a hand in going and actually helping do work. Yeah, yeah, you can do, like, a work work trade. Right. And, I mean, yeah. that gets into some of the woofing that people do, which yeah. is a world of organic organic farming we'll look it up the look that i'm so bad at. <laughs> it's like as soon as i learn all these acronyms i just go out my brain but yeah so csas are great there's also thing called direct marketing where these large farmers like cheryl zacharyson who i just recently interviewed and she goes and talks about how she creates some of like her seed crops and sells it directly to local livestock farmers and then they use that seed to feed their cows and lowers their cost for the production of these cows, which lowers costs for us in the in the market, but co-ops are really a great way too. If you like, don't I I I don't know too much about the CSAs because I feel like there's also a huge farmers market that goes on here right. and our co-op in Moscow. Oh, the farmers market is so much yeah, fun. Farmers markets are rad here. They they have my first exposure to it was when I was um, living and working over at Spiler Rock. Shout out to Stu Davis and their amazing kombucha and wine. Uh, that I was like, wow, there's a huge front here, not front, but like there's a huge presence of local farmers doing meat and produce and they do it. And then you can get that at the co-op too, at Moscow Co-op. So I think it'd be good to look at for listeners that are doing this, like look and see what CSAs are going on around here and for us maybe to look into it too. Because I just know that there's just such an abundance of Mm -hmm. local well, I know we have, like, backyard garden programs. Oh, my gosh, yes, which is an amazing program that we should yeah. talk about. And then there's, like, I don't know anything about them, really. I know that there's uh, Deep Roots Farm in Moscow. But I learned about CSAs from a class I took from Dr. Earls at Lewis Clark State College. Shout out to Dr. Earls. <laughs> um, and I just thought it was so cool and a really great way for, like, kids to learn about ag. And, like, there's CSAs in Vancouver where they, they let... Um, is that where you're from? No, I'm from here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Lewiston native. Are you guys both from Lewiston? <laughs> yep. Born yes, and raised? Yeah, 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 kind of. I was born in yeah. Pullman, but I'm... How long have you guys known I've each other? Forever. Uh, we... Five minutes? we've technically we've known each other since high school but we've become like buds like over the last year and a half two years something like that and like that uh, yeah so so it's been fun to uh to be friends with brian and do this show and talk about the valley by the way listeners these are the most like hospitable gentlemen you'll ever meet (laughs) they have really tasty beer and really cute dogs yeah scout uh was very excited today i should have thrown the ball (laughs) for her a little bit earlier but yeah she's cute she's cute and great which was what i tried to say a second ago and they came out at the same you can make your own word so we were talking about when you came here let's uh you were talking about all the the view 
Oh my you gosh, nice yes. View. So, um, to give people that actually live around this spot, which maybe a lot of you are. Since I would assume most, most of you guys are local. <laughs> we're, we're talking so about the I, So, I used to live on, um, coming from my spot on Old Spiral Highway, not the grade, because uh, Spiral Rock Vineyard is used to be my residence. Once again, shout out to y'all. Um, I always see Waha and a little bit of Clarkson because you have the clear water mainly in front of me and then I have a snake coming out and a little bit of the confluence. Well, I'm driving up to these gentlemen's house today and all of a sudden I take a turn and I'm like, where am I? I'm <laughs> deeper into the canyon that's, in, you know, towards Snake River and I'm on Snake River and I'm looking back at this, like, amazing view of these, like, little snow-capped rolling hills with the greenery going on, but it gets really cool and steep as you go more west on the Snake River, and it was just a very beautiful view that I haven't seen, and then I make a turn, and all of a sudden it's, like, staring at Waha closer than I've ever seen it, and it was a very um, appreciative day. Yeah, we'll have to go for a hike in Waha. Drew's family lives in Waha. Oh, cool. Yeah, I grew up in Waha. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the place looks mystical. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> cool. Mentioned, uh, I, I know it really well. At this you point. mentioned uh, Steptoe Butte, Kamiak Butte. What are some of the? Have you had a chance to explore the area much? What are some yeah. of your favorite like hikes, or have you done any summer activities like whitewater rafting yet? Or? So, not yet. I'm going on a cool oh, trip so later fun. in July, but uh, we didn't th- get permits this year. Oh, I. We've got a trip planned, but as for a step toe onto the conservation world, uh, there is an amazing plant that may not be as charismatic uh, aesthetically, but importance-wise it is because it's kind of one of those cool keystone endangered species called the Spalding's Catchfly, and it is also one of those plants that doesn't get much recognition because it's part of the prairie land. Have mm. either of you guys ever heard of Spalding's Catchfly? Yeah, Zach. Sounds pretty familiar, but my, I... My buddy Zach that was here when we were recording our Anomalies episode, which is only available to our Patreon subscribers, so get <laughs> on Patreon and check that out. Oh, you guys do Patreon? <laughs> yeah, we do. Okay. Yes, we uh, do do Patreon, and we put out extra content there and early <laughs> content when I get it done early. I yeah. might have to go to Patreon for yes. my own personal podcast. Yeah, <laughs> my my buddy uh, my buddy Zach Cuddy he uh, was discussing that plant. Um, oh, okay. When we, were, when we were talking about that episode, because we were trying to come up with other like cool anomalies or things that only exist around this area. Yeah, endemic would be the term. Yeah. Endemic, so not epidemic. I can go there, but <laughs> endemic. Yeah. We so. almost made it. Hold on. <laughs> Twenty-three made it. Twenty-three <laughs> minutes into the we're not podcast. Going into, I'm not even going to touch on that right now. I'm going to talk about something that actually needs notice, which is Spalding's catchfly. Yeah, it's we, an yeah, endemic tell us about species. It. What does it look like? It looks, um, because I haven't been here that long, there's a man named Anthony Hatcher at Palouse Conservation District that is a mascot for this plan, and he can give greater identification features on it. Sure. However, I can speak to, it's pretty much kind of looks like your normal herbaceous plant that has a single stalk that pops out with like a, tubular trumpet flower that's white petals are white the corolla is kind of like a light green so and it only stands about maybe three inches but they actually live i forgot to mention the other areas that the that the prairie exists are cemeteries yes That's right. interesting. Yeah, so Pitt Cemetery is a place that we do a lot of work at, and that's kind of towards Septo Butte, and Spalding Scotchfly exists there, and we do a lot of work in Septo, 
We try to get a lot of money through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, but it doesn't always happen because people don't want to put money into something that's already, like, like 1% existing. <laughs> However, it still has a purpose, so you should fund it. But anyways, um, yeah, so step two I've been to. I haven't been to Kamiak, but... When we were, I spoke to uh, Linda Jovanovich on Palouse Pauls, the beautiful landowner, such an amazing lady. She's got an amazing daughter, too, that works at the Palouse Land Trust, which is a cool program. Her name is uh, Jamie Jovanovich Walker, and they their like home is over at Kamiak, and I stare at it all the time, but I haven't uh -huh. been to it. Honestly, because I used to live in Lewiston, my recreational activities are Hell's Gate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am a huge runner. And it's a great place. That to is you gotta watch what, out for rattlesnakes in the summer. Yeah, I've learned that they wake up differently than I do in the summertime because they like the heat at twelve AM or twelve PM and like mm. like to lay out in the sun. Where I can't I made the really bad decision when I first moved here to decide to run at twelve in the <laughs> afternoon, high noon. In hell's I Canyon. had to have my friend come get me because I almost passed out from heat exhaustion. Hoy. But anyways, I now run at like seven AM in the summertime and it's colder still enough that the rattlesnakes are still hiding out. But I try to run the trails that already have like horse hooves. Because that means that something's come through there that's like scurry them, but yeah, totally got to get. Pro tip. Yeah, I, I would recommend that if you are running, wear higher socks and leggings, so at least there's something of a barrier because they're gonna hit your ankles. I'm not any means a rattlesnake expert. I'm just a runner that loves Hellsgate. That place is amazing. I find that any place I live, I always find like my own sanctuary for running that's like my connection my quick connection to land that i can like ground in mm -hmm. and like i used to have that when i lived in manoa in hawaii and that was over at like pu'upia or north shore hawaii it was cutting a point and like that's actually a leaping off point for souls um yeah pretty heavy place beautiful and uh hell's gate has held a special place in my heart now they live at moscow moscow mountain seems pretty rad it's kind of sad it's like pretty much just like a lumber area it's privately owned but it looks like there's a lot of good conservation activities going on a lot of people have private land ownership that have devoted their land over to the Palouse land trust which means that it's you basically have like a trust in that land that um you've donated over and it'll become conservation land at some point yeah you'll have to check out um at some point the Asotan creek trail if you haven't um, it's sort of just on the other side from where Hell's Gate is. Oh, okay. Heads, heads out. Um, I guess that would be west? No, east. Heads out east. It'd be like southwest. towards Towards Asotin, that's west. Yeah. That's towards Oregon. Well, it, it, yeah, it kind of juts out. But it's really cool because there's all kinds of conservation really? efforts out there. And then there's a nice little running trail, and it's sort of wooded, but then you still get... Is that Asotin County? Yeah, I guess it would technically probably be Asotin County. Oh, cool. We do yeah. work over in Asotin sometimes. With uh, we, we do stream rehabilitation yeah. where we make fake beaver dams. Yeah, nice. so this runs right alongside the Asotin okay. Creek. So there's all How do you know that there's conservation work being done there? You can see little projects and signs that will explain, like, this is happening here. Like tubes that go around trees. That, that so, like, too, yeah. If someone's walking in an area and they see tubes over a tree, maybe it's indicating, like, a restoration project. Right. Yeah, like or, like, the Asotan Slough. I don't know if you've been out mm -hmm. there. There's there's some projects going on out there. It's a great place to take your well, dog for a walk. That area has always been a – when I was a kid, it was a bird sanctuary, so they kept all those trees and everything out there for birds, but they've just been improving it and improving it over the last few years. Yeah, 
Yeah, and if you're a little, little kid and a total dork like I was, uh, it would be a really good spot to pretend like you're in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Or uh, like Mordor, yeah. Blair Witch oh. Project. Yep. I lived in yeah. a pl- when I used to work in the Ko'ala, I was on Oahu or live or work or there, whatever. There was this beautiful trail called Pomoho, and everyone that I would take on my my Crowley trips where people get crowlied. Um, <laughs> there's a really cool part of the trail that has, like, a really steep cliff that cuts off, and then it's just, like, 500 feet down. Um, but there's a little trail that goes through it, and then a high wall filled with, like, moss and squishy bits, and it looks like Mordor. Like, everyone that I take on it, they're like, that's Mordor. I'm like, yeah. Lord of, the, awesome. Lord of the Rings exists in our reality. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> so you talked about um, Plus Pulse. That's just one of your podcasts. Yes. And then you have another one, which is called? Conserve Nation. Yeah, so Plus Pulse is my work one. Uh, love it. But my passion is Conserve Nation. I started this podcast with my own selfish reasons of wanting to speak with like-minded people, but also those that I don't know and that have a mission still that is invested in the land. Mm-hmm. So my elevator speech, I'd say, is we are a environmental podcast working to bridge the environmental awareness gap uh, from our stream-to-sea conservation efforts and those all that lie in between. And what that really means is that we're all connected, and what's connected inside of us, the food that we put in ourselves and our wellness that we put into our body also projects out into the active well-being that we want to take for our land. So the stewards, recreationists, conservationists, and healers, they all have a stake within themselves, but it also makes them realize to care for the land. And I believe it's you can't totally want to heal the land and be a part of it if you don't have that within yourself. Mm-hmm. And Conserve Nation speaks to fellow friends that are conservationists that I've worked with before and have just great stories and then there's others that I talk to that have a different perspective no like environmental injustice that's going on not only conservation efforts but the lack of conservation efforts going in these marginalized populations that happen across the U.S. to people that are guides and that have been hunting and doing avid recreational sports uh, professionally for their life and how they've seen these streams and populations of fish decline and yeah. and change and and all along how do they take care of themselves because it's all connected like right. you can't care about the land as much about anything without also caring about yourself like it's, it just goes kind of that hand. same thing is you can't take care of someone else until you take care of yourself airplane first. metaphor right put the mask on yourself before you put it on someone else mm-hmm. yeah you yeah. can't see the uh, splinter in your neighbor's eye until you remove the log from your own. You want to go <laughs> biblical? Get it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Anymore? Yeah. I feel like... No. Uh... <laughs> I don't, I'm so bad at metaphors. Like, I'm like, maybe talk to me 10 minutes later. I'll come up with one. All right. <laughs> I'll come back to it. I feel like the, uh, the Chesapeake Bay is a really good example of okay. what you're talking about. There's all kinds of externalities from agriculture and livestock, like 
Tyson chicken polluting the bay horribly. Yeah. And there's there's no fish, and the guides that rely on those fishing trips don't have any fish to catch, and crabbers and stuff. It's it's been a huge detriment to well, and I guess the uh, the big issue going on right now with that is the dams, right? They're yeah. So you brought me into dams. like so I'm gonna talk to farmers. I will be talking to a lot of female farmers because that goes into my own personal like ecofeminism uh, topics I want to divulge on more into my own. But you have these farmers farming wheat. Mm-hmm. These wheat is transported in these barges that go through these dams. And these dams now, we all know what they do. They, di- they disrupt a population of, of fish. They do it. It's been stated. These dams are there to create energy for us. So as long as these dams exist for energy and they supply the space for barges to go through, then they will be there. And it's very connected because you have people that are worried about energy, agriculture, fisheries. Like, how many populations are going to be plugged into this issue that makes it even more complex? And it's just really finding the value in what is existing at this moment and doesn't need to exist still. Right. Yeah, it's it's a weird push and pull between all those different stakeholders. Yeah. It's been going on our entire lives. We've Yeah, you guys yeah. grew up in this area. Right. So when what was the newest dam created in this area? So I'm not a big dam historian mm-hmm. or historian in general. That's a great question. I have no idea about dams, Drew. Uh, I, I'm not sure when the four lower snake dams went in, but it it was relatively recent. We can look that up really quick. Were you guys born? No, I don't know. No, no I don't was, think so. It was, it was like well, the 70s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, okay. it was well before our time. And matter of fact, there was a proposed dam that would have been in what would be the front of the Hell's Canyon National Recreation for, or area, um, and I think 72. And there was a bunch of, like, passionate citizens of LCV and a Soton that said, hey, we don't want this because it's going to kill all of our recreation. It's going to destroy the landscape, et cetera. And you can actually go out past DeSoto ways. If you look up on the banks of the walls in the canyon, you can see where they were initially mapping out to put in that dam. Um, and I think, again, I think that was So there's supposed to be a dam at a Soton. There was a proposed dam in 1972, I think. That would just be so... It would the confluence? Yeah, would the have been fl- The floodplains would just be unreal. Mm-hmm. And I think... Residential areas would not exist. Right. And I think Dorshack went in sometime in the 70s as well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Dorshack was the most recent. It, it, it probably was. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everyone, just wanted to take a quick break to tell you about our new Patreon account. That's right, OSP fans. You can now directly help us fund this show and get access to exclusive content. For more information and to learn how you can support the show, head to patreon.com slash Podcast. Now back to the show. Do you guys talk about Dorshack Reservoir much on this podcast? Not necessarily on the podcast. Um, my father-in-law has some acreage up there, and we spend a lot of time on the reservoir in the summer. Yeah, it's pretty. Turns out I haven't my been up parents' there yet, land but... is near yeah. your, your, your folks' land. Wait, is yeah. that? Wait, I thought you, who has Wahab? It's both. It's all the same. It's just recreational no. spaces. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah so, you know, yeah. 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 Just owning a chunk of the forest near the 
Reservoir. Is it National Forest that it's that's there? Yeah, I think what National Forest is there. I think it's Clearwater National Forest. Is it? I know a lot of it's a lot of the private owners will choose to log, so there's a lot of logging that goes on up there too. But there's also a lot of natural areas as well. Right. Yes, definitely. I mean, you drive up towards Lolo Pass. Yeah. And yeah. You have some close timbers there. Right. You have some areas that have some residual old growth potentially. And it's pretty amazing to see that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it's a good spot uh, for me. And we've talked, Brian and I have talked about this before. Like, we want to get into beekeeping. So I want to try, oh, to, try to get some hives going out there this summer. And that ties oh. into a good story yes. that you have oh about somebody that we're all fans of, Paul Stamets. Mr. Paul Stamets, please listen to this podcast. I think I've said <laughs> this before. I He has helped set up a bee area at WSU right next to where I park. I drive past it I was wondering day. where you, like, because I heard you say, like, yeah, I see all the bee boxes. And. And I heard that, and and I was listening to your podcast. So for those that are listening at WSU, there is amazing research being done to be able to inoculate bees with a mycelium extract made out of, like, different, I think, birch polypores and other mushrooms. And these mycelium extracts are diluted in with water and there's these nice little bee boxes that Paul Stamets and his crew want to distribute internationally and nationally and it inoculates basically gives a vaccine to the bees that can help with colony collapse and that goes in with the mites and then broken wing syndrome right and that's really cool and that's just is it one mushroom or is it a mix I think it's a mix I think so too pretty sure yeah and Birch polypores pops up in my brain because that's what his hat's made out of. And I want you guys know about his hat. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone knows about, about his, hat. his hat. You can freaking light that shit on fire. <laughs> um, but For so days. I first contacted him because I wanted him to be on my podcast because I was like, fuck it. Let's, who, let's see. Because I contacted Chris Ryan. Do you guys know who Chris Ryan is? Mm-mm. Has you ever heard of the book Sex at Dawn? Yep. <laughs> He's the author of that, and then he just made uh, Civilized to Death, and his podcast is Tangentially Speaking. Oh, yeah. He was on Joe Rogan's show. Yeah, yeah. he's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, you're going to listen to this. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, anyway, so um, I, Paul Sam, I contacted Chris Ryan. I contacted Paul Samets first to be on the podcast, but then I found out that we're doing a tree sale for Police Conservation District on April 3rd and 4th, where we will be doing, like, a f- festival on the on that Saturday, which is the fourth, you guys should come. Yeah, you gotta Everyone, you gotta send us that information. Yeah, again so, we can so plug it. I'll give you guys all the fun stuff. So you can buy native trees. You can learn about local bats, local bees. Because um, my coworker uh, Kelsey Cunningham is going to be making bat boxes for local landowners, so they can have bats for to roost in rather than roosting in areas that are noxious. And then also my cool, amazing coworker uh, James Hart is going to make solitary native bee hotels because the native bees are solitary they're not honey bees necessarily and these ones are solitary so they like think of like an a-frame box with a bunch of bamboo sticks all in it Mm -hmm. and then the bees make homes inside of the bamboo sticks and then they breed inside these little bamboo sticks and there would be, like, three bees inside one. And it's like a little bee hotel. And mm. I contacted Paul Stamets' crew because I thought it would be a really great idea to partner with their project 
because what if we could have the mycelium extracts inoculated inside of all of these areas or mm. have it side by side, have it being a pairing project. So I finally got back. Actually, he forwarded my email to his like project manager. Whoa. So I've been talking to Paul Stamets crew uh, about getting some like trial sample mycelium boxes for these bee boxes at our tree sale. It might not happen right away, but looks like they're going to start releasing stuff in springtime. And it's just really cool. Like all this research is being done in Washington. Mm -hmm. It's very rad. And um, so I contacted him. So like, I, it took me like three times to like banter the Stamets crew and they finally got back to me. But I have like an email that has Paul Stamets in it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We, we've discussed on the show that it would be really cool if he's ever around campus at WSU, if Brian could reach out to him because Brian's got his. Yeah. Brian, WSU what, do you, what do you do there at WSU? I'm working on a master's in environmental engineering. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. Uh, I have a bachelor's in chemistry, and mostly what I do is atmospheric chemistry, so measuring trace components of air. Okay, so what's your main focus for your master's thesis? Indoor swimming pool air. All right. Want to elaborate on that? I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, it, pools are basically chlorinated, uh -huh. mostly. I mean, there's some other things that you can do. But basically what you're looking at is chlorine in pools. And then when people get in there, whether they're attached to a gym and they don't shower before they get in and they're covered in sweat, or maybe you go in and you decide you have to go to the bathroom and don't feel like getting out, you can pee in the pool. And all those uh, amino acids and urea, mostly urea, from your sweat and your urine react with the chlorine. And that's where oh you get this pool I smell is this nitrogen chlorine compound. Wait, so if a pool smells really bad of, like, what you think is chlorine, it means there's a lot of pee in the pool? Well, technically Sweat. it means that there was, a, there was a lot of pee in the pool that is now sanitized. Oh. Right? <laughs> oh. It means the chlorine okay. did its job. So you're job. selling the byproduct of the chemical reaction yeah, of the two. exactly. And oh, there's man. some other stuff in there, too. It's so not that just means that, that you're compound, selling the, the clean version of urea. Yeah. Yeah. It's clean pee. Man. Uh, but no, I it's, definitely pee in pools. <laughs> you should stop because it's not good for you to breathe that in. I'm not going to anymore because now I have motive. But no, but I really, don't want to yeah, smell that. Uh, especially indoor pools. That's what my focus yeah. is, is indoor pools. Okay, because you're just like, just it's recirculating the same chemicals over and over. Is there any sort of bioaccumulation? Like, you can't like accumulate gases in the air by like circulation on themselves can you um well it just it depends on how much air is coming in and how much air is yeah. going out so like if there's not a lot of fresh air yeah if there's not a lot of fresh air some pools are better than others it depends kind of what your hvac system's like how many people use the pool the pool temperature um how much it's being recycled all the time there's a lot of factors yeah, but it's that sounds fun. like a very huh? cool thesis. And you'll be able to read Brian's thesis very soon. Oh, yeah. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Where do you out. work? So right now I work at Tri-State Outfitters. Drew. Drew. Over in Moscow. In Moscow. Yeah, um, which is how you met Gregory Ray. Yeah, but I actually met Gregory Ray at the Lewiston Tri-State Outfitters. Oh, yeah, because rest in peace. Right, no longer <laughs> exists, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't um, done the grad school endeavor, unfortunately, but... I'm envious of Brian and his his cool work that he gets to do. Um, I just have a a social sciences degree from L LCSC. That's yeah. that's rad. That's all right. I left out the boring parts. 
but bringing it back to yeah, ag and conservation. I'm so mad at getting off topic. No, it's cool. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, is there a way that just general people can get involved with the police conservation yes. district? So, yes. Uh, starting March 21st until about the first week of May, every Saturday with the few... Saturdays excluded, which you'll be able to know because if you go on our website, Police Conservation District dot org, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can go onto our calendar events and it's right there. I update it pretty regularly. So sometimes you might have a tree sale instead of a plant the Palouse. So every Saturday there's an event going on. It is PalouseCD.org. PalouseCD.org. <laughs> I got lazy with clicking the icon noise. Uh, you can go on there, and if you go into like education, outreach, click down there, calendar events, you'll be able to see our Google calendar. And every, every Saturday, starting March 21st, there's an event. Most of them are called Plant the Palouse, and they start from 9 o'clock to 12. You would meet at our office ready for field work so close toed shoes pants probably long sleeve shirt because it might be rainy and uh, a smile and willingness to get dirty and what we do is for work for about two and a half three hours to plant as many species as we can on these private landowner properties and it's pretty much in a very rewarding and uh authentic day to spend with people that you might not know a lot of times it's students from wsu but we would love to have more family members and community members engage with this project so if you're a parent looking to get your kid out to do something on a saturday till they come out to our building out in pullman you can look us up on the web police conservation district it'll pop up on google it's a really great way to get your kids integrated into learning what environmental work is, and it lets your responsibility off the kids for a little bit. They can go plant a tree, understand what it is, and get to know what the Palouse is a little bit more. And Those are our Saturday events. If you're a teacher looking to get your kids involved in anything that has to do with science, so we do a lot of STEM. For people that, oh, I guess it's called STEAM now, or even STREAM, which is science. Uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, or it can just be science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and then the R for stream is restoration. Mm-hmm. And there's a really cool program going on in the Pullman area. It's a STEAM coalition. Uh, shout out to you guys over there. It just offers really great kids hands-on learning about really knowledgeable stuff that you might not learn in a classroom and if you do the kids might not really grasp it but if you give it to them a different avenue which is a lot of ways that kids learn they might grasp it a little bit more because it's it's applicable to the area that they live in yeah and that place place place-based learning component is always really cool no matter what age range you are yeah i mean i know myself personally like starting to to learn a podcast i knew nothing about recording and i just threw myself into it and i only learned it by just doing it Mm -hmm. and having it be applicable and i think we miss a lot of times in our educational opportunities to show to kids why it's applicable not just because you have to learn it because you're told to right yeah i totally agree 100 percent um so we're coming up on about an hour and some things that we like to do yeah is discuss uh some of your favorites when we have a guest on so do you have a favorite band at this moment it's interesting you say that because i would say my all-around band that i have the most albums downloaded is portugal the man 
It's a good band. And I was just talking about them yesterday because I just realized that they had a new album come out like a year ago, and I was like, oh, let me listen to it. And I realized every album I listen to, I leak, I like at least five of their songs. Mm-hmm. And they have eight albums. That's a good amount of music that I consistently like that I can always play. So I'd say Portugal the Man definitely is mm-hmm. my number one right now and is like continuous. They're like what Led Zeppelin used to be for me, which I still love. Right. Yeah, and I think um I think they're the intro to the Dave Chang show, his oh, podcast. Yeah? So I think about them every time I listen to his show. Cool. Um have you been to like any of the live music stuff around the area so far since moving here? Not yet. Like when so I used to live up over at Spala Rock and they do live music there. Mm-hmm. So that's honestly been a lot of my exposure because on Friday nights at Spala Rock they do a tasting room from about like five to eight o'clock most Fridays and they have live music there. And then we did the harvest party for when Stu Davis sends out this huge party for people to come in and you get to drink for free and eat for free if you harvest grapes. And they do that in October and we have a bunch of bands that come through. And then other than that, honestly, that's been my exposure to most live music here because it's only been seven months and I haven't gone much. I went to Missoula and I saw the worst DJ I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I call him DJ Carhartt. (laughs) <laughs> DJ Carhartt. Was he wearing Carhartt? He was. <laughs> and he was like wearing it down like a shawl. And like, for those listeners that don't know what I'm doing, he's like acting like he's got wings and like flapping them. Like he was like, didn't even have his hands like DJing. He's just like. They were like, like bibs or something? Like overalls? Yeah. There, it was his jacket and it was like over his shoulders. Oh. And he was like acting like it was like a shawl. So at least he looked really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> well, have, you, have you had much of a chance to explore uh, some of the various restaurants around here? Where's become your like go to place to eat? Imua, because I like their fish and chips and I'm a sucker for fish and chips. I just went to Casey's Burger. Oh, they have really good burgers. I went there and every time I go there, like my eyes are always bigger than my stomach, but they have really great prices and good beers. The staff is super friendly and I like them. Uh, and a lot of, pla- I mean, Clarkston, I always like roosters going out to them cause their staff is really great and they have a wide selection of beer. And then over at Groundworks too, just cause I like having good craft beer that's brewed right there. Well, whoever's running the grill or the barbecue or the smoke yeah, down that there place is does mean. a great job. And also I occasionally like to have, uh, my, when I, once again, Sparrow Rock, cause I live there and a lot of my food. They're my amazing friends that do catering called Pigfish, and they do, like, a Hawaiian-Asian fusion, and they've done a couple of stuff over at Imua. They did some stuff over at the uh, the Dutch Oven Fest, which was supposed to be, like, the Steelhead Derby, but they turned it into a Dutch Oven contest. Hmm. So, yeah, I'd say I definitely follow the beer <laughs> most of the time. Cool. Yeah. And then other than like Hell's Canyon and then Spiral Rock, has there been, and Moscow Mountain, has there been like another cool area or place that you really checked out and digged on a lot since moving here? That's been locally right around here. Yeah. I'd say the Hot Springs, even though they're about two hours away. Which ones? Stanley. No, sorry, not Stanley. Uh, Weir. Oh, okay. So Weir Hot Springs, I'd say it's been really fun. I have friends that have property over towards Gibbs Eddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my actually last person I interviewed, Tara Kazimfar, for my conservation, my last guest, they have property over by Gibbs Eddy. I just like exploring that their land and mm-hmm. just like pushing bush and just like rambling through the mountain 
yeah. that's kind of been my favorite thing to do. Also, in the summertime, going and jet boating in Hell's Canyon has pretty much been one of the most epic scenes I've ever seen in my life. That place is amazing, going all the way past the salmon, doing camp trips out there. Mm-hmm. I haven't done whitewater rafting. I've just done jet boating. I get to drive it, Yeah, and that's been super rad. Yeah, you'll have to check out, um, like, out towards, like you are talking about, out towards Orfino, you'll have to check out the Locksaw and Kelly Creek, and yeah. those areas are really cool, too. You take a drive out to Riggins, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I've been on, like, Julieta, and then that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have, way to door you'll have plenty of opportunities to go to Riggins on your way to McCall. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Riggins, it's like that tiny little yeah. town that you drive through in, like, two minutes. It's super yeah. cute. But great rafting, Home away, right? Home yeah. rafting. There's yeah. a uh, professional football player from there right now, Ooh. and he's really good. I don't know his name. I haven't been following the NFL for a while. Yeah. Not for political reasons, just because I... Uh, well, I've been enjoying been both of your podcasts. The Palouse Pulse one's really fun, and I know... Is there only one conservation at the moment? Yeah. You got another one coming I just, out soon? Yeah, I got some more. I, uh... Yeah, I had to do some rescheduling of episodes, but, uh, yeah, got some new ones coming out. Some good topics that touch on local conservation work, uh, environmental injustice, and some sustainable and renewable bathing suit clothing companies that focus on oceanic awareness and learning to reduce single-use plastics that's really cool i love how it it's not just conservation of the earth but also of ourselves that's kind of really that's a really great way to put it yeah it's it's learning to do internal and external that's awesome where where can people check out the show so right now itunes and spotify are for palouse pulse and conservation so conservation is two words and Palouse Pulse is two words, both Spotify and iTunes. You can also find them on Buzzsprout, but I will be, might be moving to Podbean. Podbean soon for my website, but those are where you can find the podcast for sure right now. There's four episodes lined up for Palouse Pulse that are already released. There'll be two more, and then Conservation. It's unlimited how many will be going through, but I got one up there. You'll expect some more by the end of the month. Yeah, that's cool. Let us know when you get Paul Stamets in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we can just like all collaborate, do it together. Yeah, we could just do one episode and we'll then we can share it. we ourselves in like, show us all of your mycelium. <laughs> yes, please. We'll, we'll invest in the birch hats beforehand, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can get them. <laughs> okay. in here. We're you can all buy them online from Transylvania for $100. Yeah, I saw Transylvania. Some... That's where they're made. Right. Yeah. It's so trippy. And I think it's just like the mushroom and lye wa- and lye and water. Yeah, and I think they pound it out. And make oh no, it into I think a they use also um, not charcoal, but oh yeah, like ash or ash. something. Ash. Yeah. They use ash because it helps. That's like, right. Um, like thin out the mycelium and like presses it and makes it thinner so you can make it malleable. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you're listening to this, you don't know who Paul Stamets is, you don't know about the hat. Go check it out. I mean, and also fantastic fungi. He's part of one of those, yep. one of this amazing documentary. It's not being released in Netflix. It's only be re- being released in private theaters, and you have to request it. Guys, if you're listening to us and you're local, let's get the Kenworthy in Moscow. Let's get Fantastic Fungi going. Kenworthy, cool. you want this. That would be really cool, and I feel like a, yeah. a lot of people would show out for people that. People would definitely show up for it. People would pay money for it, like easily $20. I would. I, yeah. yeah. For sure. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having this amazing recording studio. It's great. Awesome. Thanks. Cheers.
was Allison Crowley. Check out Allison's podcasts available on Spotify, Palouse Pulse and Conserve Nation. Both great podcasts that help the listeners get perspective and nuance in understanding our communities and our surrounding area. This episode of the show was brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you for supporting the show. If you'd like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. That's going to do it for us this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the back catalog of episodes if you haven't already, and thanks for seeing us through our 11th episode. Thank you.